Vicky Guerrero, your host of the Excuse Me podcast. It has been a bit. I have not released uh, some podcasts for a couple of weeks. I have been so busy, which is not an excuse. But I'm here today to release my one of three guests from WrestleCade this year from Winston-Salem. It was an amazing weekend. We had a blast. And this week I'm releasing Mick Foley's uh, interview, which I adore him. I have been a friend of his for many, many years, and we've had the pleasure of sharing the microphone together. So I hope that you guys uh, grab a snack, get a beverage, sit back and listen to the most amazing person in professional wrestling. Please welcome Mick Foley. is a man that I love to pieces. We work together in WWE. He is one of the most famous wrestlers that have done some incredible, just horrible, torturous matches. And I, I give him so much credit and I admire him so much. Please welcome Mick Foley. Then Tony Hunter, he offered me a, a barbecue sandwich and I felt it would be rude to turn it down. So now I'm a little full and that's why I'm not wearing my bottom teeth. So if y'all forgive me. Yeah, yeah, I'll have them on for our photos though a little bit later. I am so honored that you're doing my show. I was so tickled because you said yes and I'm, I just want to thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm supposed to be here at three. Did you guys know that? But I drove, I drove last night, uh, Thanksgiving festivities ended at 9.30 p.m. and it was about a seven hour drive. I don't know if anybody saw my uh, tweet today, just to show you the type of person I am. I've been in the same rental minivan for uh, over a month and my uh, oil change light has been on for the last couple thousand miles. So for the first time ever, we're talking 35 years in the wrestling business, I got an oil change on a rental car. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's my show, my rules, so I would wait for you till 10 uh, o'clock tonight. Thank you, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. For people that may not be familiar with Mick, which if you're not familiar, I'm kind of embarrassed. You're I want here. you out of here! <laughs> you, you've gone by characters such as Cactus Jack, Dude Love, Mankind and Mr. Socko. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was not Mr. Socko. Well, I mean, I know, the Socko like that I saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, you you have such an elite list of accolades. I mean, your career is just it's priceless, and it's just I mean, not even I know you've written books and stuff, but I mean, it it goes down in history as the one of the longest careers, and the matches you had were just incredibly brutal. 
I mean, to watch, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them were, yeah, yeah, they were. What What is your worst match that you've had that, looking back, you're like, I can't believe I, I survived that match. Ah, uh, well, you can't go wrong with the cell. You know, I'm kind of lucky to have survived that one. Um, yeah, definitely some aches and pains. Um, and uh, now that I've got this brand new, a very short haircut. You know, the I one, like it. Thank I you. Like it. it took a little bit more off than I wanted. Uh, but uh, and this is the narrowest the goatee has been in a long. First time I've been at a barber where I didn't get to look in the mirror until he was done. And uh, I feared momentarily he'd shave the whole thing off. Uh, but we're okay. Um, but the short hair really makes that loss of the one ear, or part of that one ear, a little more pronounced. I mean, but you've had such a, a distinct trade look, you know, with your curly hair. I mean, um, but you look very clean cut, though. Well, you know what happened, Mickey? Uh, a few years ago, I can't tell this story in full, but there are little ones here. Let's just read well, between the lines. They've heard a lot today. <laughs> I was portraying an iconic uh, December character. In order to portray that character as well as I possibly could, I dyed, I bleached the back part of my hair, right? So that, you know, there's a wig involved there, just read between the lines, everyone. And so when it was time, when the, the season was over and it was time to get rid of that, instead of going to a place and getting the bleaching undone, I just started hacking away with a pair of scissors, which is never a good idea, right? And, uh, and the more I had, the worse it looked. And so I just showed up at 9.30 a.m. as soon as Supercuts in New Orleans opened when I was the raw GM. I said, just take it all off. And when I tried to grow it back, instead of growing down, it just kept growing up and up. And I just found at that point, you know, when I was the GM, I guess I was 51. When you're 51 years old and you're having to say every day, it's not a perm. <laughs> I think it's Mother Nature's way of telling you that your days of having long hair are over. So, so short hair. Did you know, you know that you were in one of my books, right? Yes, in the Christmas book. The children's book, yeah. yeah Mr. Carrera was a teacher. Children's Christmas book and I, I was really happy with uh, it. Thank you, I really enjoyed doing it. And that was based on my son when he was three years old saying uh, he didn't want any presents, he had enough. Like I'm trying to write a letter uh, with him to Santa. What do you want to know, I've got enough. Look, I've got presents there and there. And other people can have my presents. And in my mind, I thought like if Mr. McMahon was the mayor of that town and he found out that there was a child who didn't want presents, he would think that was strange. So, <laughs> so that was the impetus for that story, which I wrote like uh, six years later. You know, because speaking of books, you're um, the you're the uh, multi-time New York Times bestseller list. Oh, that's I mean, number one. Uh, I, hit that. I hit that list. I hit number one twice. Uh, just for those of you keeping uh, count at home, Chris Jericho, zero. Okay, <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. Even though, uh, you know, I have to work with Chris Jericho. I have to. Go, I I will inform him of that. He's got enough going on in his life, right? <laughs> yeah. He's doing well enough. Let me have the number one spot. How is it being an author? I mean, aside from being a wrestler, I mean, do you write your own books or do you have someone write them for you? Yeah, I guess I started like uh, I won't say it was a craze, but I would say I was the first one to do it myself, which was thought to be like an outlandish thought when I proposed that to my. Uh, 
uh, not just my editor, but the publisher, Judith Regan, like nobody did that at the time. You know, athletes, uh, actors, they all had books written for them. And I just thought I could do a better job telling that story than the writer I had was doing. And so uh, just earlier today and in the past few days, I've been reading Moxley's book, which is excellent, and he wrote it himself. And within the first few pages, you're like, he's got his own way of telling a story. And in that sense, you know, what you do on the page is not that much different than what we did in the ring. You know, you can overcome a lot of weaknesses with a passion for what you're doing. And I think I may have inspired a little bit of that passion among my fellow wrestlers. You know, the last memory I had of working with you was uh, backstage when you were doing a pre-tape with The Rock. And I was, I was telling you to be quiet, well actually shut up, and Rock too. And that night was when Rock sang to me. Oh man, that song. Oh, brushes her short brown hair. And the way you were fawning over the rock, right? And we all know I, this, right? I thought he truly was gonna love me. We we're gonna start a storyline. I thought this is it. I finally get my chance at the rock. Oh man, I mean that was just so much fun to be in the it was ring a blast. for. Uh, and, and you get worried when Dwayne says now pay attention to what I say out there, okay? And I was like, sure, yeah, Dwayne, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And yeah, I had a big surprise out there. I didn't know what the song was before I went out. He just says, I have a great song about you. And I was like, you really oh, didn't? You had no idea? Like, this is great. Uh, I was feeding into it. It was, you know, I was torn because on one hand, it was a little mean. On the other hand, it was really funny, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's this one promo, I don't even know if you ever realize, if someone wants to go back, it was a backstage promo. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure which year it was, uh, to, somewhere around 2014. And in gesturing, where I think we were live backstage, and in gesturing, my hand brushed your... My boob? Boob, yeah. I remember that. And you can hear me say, that was incidental contact. <laughs> you polite about it. I was, I was very polite about it, but I just was like, I think my hand just brushed your boob. I'd better acknowledge this on live television. Not only that I did it, but I did not intend to do it. So. Well, the sponsors didn't kick us off. Yeah, so we were good. okay, yeah. Um, another great memory that we all have of you is being in the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2013. That is what a remarkable, um, just a remarkable memory of your legacy. I, how, what does that mean to you looking back now because yeah, it's been a while? It was a great, it was really a great night. Um, I, uh, I honestly, I, I made up my mind uh, like 2010, 2011, I didn't have, you know, it wasn't doing much with the company, but I was like, my children were all big fans and I thought, as long as I'm Mick Foley and as long as that continues to mean something, I'm going to bring them to shows when they want, you know? And then I would just hang out at house shows and just talk with the guys. And so I went to the Madison Square Garden show the day after Christmas, you know? They always sort of the house show the day after Christmas. This is a 2012. And uh, Hunter asked if he could talk to me. And I honestly thought they were going to release me from my, I was an ambassador at that time. I had a two-year run as an ambassador. And so I walked into that office fully expecting to be relieved of that duty. And instead he said, uh, we'd like to know how you would feel about being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. 
I said, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, and and it, you know what's really special for me is it was at Madison Square Garden. And I know people, you know, we can't choose where we want to be inducted. We're lucky enough uh, to have that honor bestowed upon us. But if I could have chosen on it, obviously it would have been the garden for me because that's where I grew up uh, taking trains to and hitchhiking to. And it just held a lot of great memories for me. And I also thought uh, when I was out there, I said, I'll never address a crowd this size again. And I was wrong about that, luckily. But I said, I'm just going to really enjoy every moment. And I was able to look out, see my children, you know, see my wife, see a few friends, see my colleagues. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I, I wish I had said is that uh, although I'm just being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, uh, the younger generation of wrestlers had made me feel like I was in the Hall of Fame anyway with the way they treated me and the way the fans did too. So uh, I always thought to myself, if I never get inducted, it doesn't matter because uh, you, all of you, have treated me like I'm a Hall of Famer for years. So I really appreciate that That's type amazing. of treatment. Thanks. <laughs> I played it. I wasn't. You was. You were. You were. You were, Mick. You were. Can I ask you this? When I was the commissioner, right, there was no internet. So the only negative feedback I would get, it was happened two different times. I would be told there was an emergency phone call for me. And you're a parent. What's the first thing you think when you're an emergency? It's a child. So I go rushing to whatever office, and then there'd be a guy on the phone going, I want to know what you're going to do about The Undertaker. <laughs> this is an emergency? Uh, but aside from those couple calls, I had, you know, I just thought I'd gauge how well it's going by the response I'm getting. There was no social uh, media. But for me, the drawback, biggest drawback being GM, were the number of people who would tag you into posts where they weren't happy with the show. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, this is like blaming Julia Louis-Dreyfus for the state of the nation. Like, she's not really the president, you know? Like, I'm a guy, I'm a middle-aged guy with sweatpants and a history of head injuries. Do you really think I'm running this billion-dollar company? So that was the only drawback was that that time. I'm wondering if you got a lot of that, especially because yes. you were a heel your entire time. Especially you, know, you go to the grocery store, you're walking down the street, and you're like, what the hell is wrong with Stephanie McMahon? I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, people really think that I was in charge of writing the whole show, and I'm just be like, man, I wish I was. I would change some stuff around yeah, I here. Some stuff too. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, man, I love telling stories about nights where things did not go well. So I do these the, this one-man show, and I go around. I love telling the stories from my career. Um, but in this one swing of Western Canada, I was booked into a uh, like a vacation town before, like in the fall, before the snow started falling. So it was like a ghost town, and they booked me in a 2,500-seat theater where only 13 tickets are sold. Right. <laughs> so in order. <laughs> prevent me from having to look out at 2,500 extra empty seats. They fanned the, the, the seat, the 13 seats out with their back to the big crowd, you know, big seats. 
and I put him on the stage and I said, hey, I'm a glass half full guy. At least I'm not gonna get heckled up here. And no sooner had I said those words, I'm not gonna get heckled, than there was an older guy, he seemed to be an Italian uh, immigrant, and all of a sudden I hear him say, oh, what are you gonna do about Triple H? <laughs> and I said, excuse me, he says, I don't like what he and Stephanie are doing. <laughs> And I thought, and I just looked at it and said, dude, you've got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you would get that from all sides. You never knew when someone was going to be really angry about the state of the show that you really, and I, I think in, in my case, there were a handful of times when I could make a difference, when I could say to Vince, hey, can I handle this? I think I can, it'll be more believable if I just say what's in my heart. But other than those other five times, you're kind of, in my case at least, dutifully just trying to do the best job you can. So aside from performing in the ring and having your legacy, how is it different from being an actor? Because you you had your stint in, in acting as well. I've done little, I've done little roles here and there. I can honestly say I've never gotten a role that wasn't specifically written for me. Uh, what were some of the roles that you played? Well, I was just on Heels uh, on Showtime. <laughs> Uh, I was in a great uh, kind of horror thriller called uh, 12 Hour Shift, if anyone has seen that. And I was in another great little movie called The Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, that was a really good movie, right? And I got to see it, I went to the theater to see it at a theatrical run, and uh, I always go at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And so there were these, uh, a group of uh, uh, older women, and they were not wrestling fans, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at my face, you know, it's 40 feet high on that screen, and I hear one of them go, what happened to his ear? <laughs> <laughs> so I've had, uh, yeah, those are the, the most recent ones, but I've done some TV, did Boy Meets World way back in the day, yeah, yeah. And I was on Saturday Night Live with, uh, who was the name of that guy who sang to you? I can't remember his name. Dwayne Johnson, yeah, yeah, that that young kid, he was uh, uh, he was hosting Saturday Night Live. So I've had a lot of fun, but uh, I think I'm like a lot of people, nothing compares to the immediate feedback you get from being in the ring. That's amazing. So what are you uh, doing for the holidays as far as your charity work? Because I know that you do a lot of charity work. What are the organizations that you're working with now to get ready for Christmas? Yeah, well, you know what? Um, last week I did a signing in Charlotte for High Spots. Woo! And I was, uh, I'm, uh, it's been a long time since I've worked on a big project, so I wanted to donate the money that I made that night to a school that I'm going to build in Kenya. Little two-room two uh, school. Um, but on the way back, I was thinking about this wrestler, Jimmy Rave, and I worked with Jimmy in Ring of Honor. He lost both his legs, had to have his legs amputated. And so even though I'd just done the signing, because uh, Michael, who runs High Spots, told me, he goes, oh, we had to cut off the orders. I said, hey man, I'm gonna be coming back for WrestleCade. Uh, what if I come back and we do a signing and all the proceeds go to uh, Jimmy Rave's medical bills and his living expenses, so, yeah. What are you it's at High Spot, so it's an online signing. Okay. So people can go and they can pre-order. I just tweeted something out today. And then the other one, in addition to a couple of the local organizations that help uh, uh, families who are struggling around the holidays, I'm doing a benefit show in Atlanta on December 5th, where all the money goes to a group called um, uh, 
I'm trying to think of the name. Georgia uh, National Alliance NAMI National Alliance for Mental Illness and that's to honor the the life and legacy of Daphne who we lost a few uh, months ago. So yeah, place painful. Yeah, I've been really really lucky. I can honestly say I can look all of you in the eye and tell you that absolutely none of what I collect the next two days is going to a charitable organization. But uh, <laughs> Sunday it is, December fifth it is, and we're uh, you know we're going to build that little school too in the next few months. That's amazing. Thanks. I guess you do Bob, do your job. Stephen P. Newt, drop the ball again, young lady. <laughs> I was seriously thinking that it was the worst idea I'd ever had. <laughs> the entire time, you remember when you know when his music played, that's 1990 when I had the pajama top for a ring jacket. Um, the entire time his music's playing, I know nobody's going to be looking at me. And all I was doing was looking down, thinking of a way I could gracefully climb down that cell without ruining my career. And if I could have thought of it, I would have done it. But I couldn't, so I didn't, and the rest is history. Thank you. All right, keep your hands up. This young man right here. Oh, okay. Undertaker? Is he here? Whoever just leaned against the light switch. No, I'm audio, not video. If you're leaning against the wall, you're probably leaning against the light switch. All right. There we go. Oh, it's Kane. Okay. Uh, powers. Who's your favorite person to play? Dude Love, Captain Shack, or Mankind? Okay. Can I ask you two questions first? Who is your favorite wrestler and why am I? <laughs> Captain Jack. There you go. All right. Um, you know what, I love being Cactus. At the time, I was doing it. Uh, I enjoyed being Dude Love for two months during the summer of love in 97. Uh, but when uh, November rolled around and I was still dancing in the ring, I was like, oh, this, this character has run its course. But I love being Dude Love on Cameo videos. It's the hokiest, dude has reinvented himself as a lounge singer, so. Uh, <laughs> so I can do birthday songs. Is wishing you a happy birthday. So I love doing it. But if I had to pick one, I would say Mankind, Latter Day Mankind. And the reason is, I didn't realize it at the time, but that Latter Day Mankind character was really connecting uh, with people who didn't feel like they fit in. So it was kind of a sense of a source of, we're supposed to be there to take people's minds off their problems and entertain. But it, you know, it took me years to find out that people were connecting and felt a kinship with this guy who didn't quite fit in, but found a way to you know, be a big deal anyway. So I think because of that, uh, that's a, how old are you, young man? How old? How, how old are you? That's a pretty easy seven years old. answer for a seven-year-old to count your hand, right? Yeah, yeah. But I was really connecting, so I'm going to go with mankind. Final answer. <laughs> and one of the things I do, Vicky, not that I'm uh, trying to drum up business here, uh, 
But I offer the three faces of Foley experience at the table where we take three different photos. It's hard to be Cactus Jack, but I give him a Foley photo, uh, a dude photo, or a mankind Is this photo. Is tour that you're doing? Uh, No, right here, all at the table, yeah. It's kind of an exclusive to, to, uh, to wrestling conventions. So I have to find a way to compete with these young guys and women, honestly. But also, I love doing it, and I see that people really enjoy it. So that's one of the things I do. All right. The online auction he was talking about is highspots.com. They do online auctions all the time, so uh, check that out. And uh, this young man right here. Young man. Hi, Mick. He's not young, Bob. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So, Mick, when you're back in high school, who was the better high school wrestler, you or Kevin James? <laughs> we were both spectacularly mediocre. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, we both worked really hard and we were both first year wrestlers, but the best experience for me was just getting in there and rolling around with him because, I mean, I don't think he minds me saying, he was the toughest kid in the school. He really was. And um, would have never thought I could have held my own with him, but uh, the more I did it, 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 the more confident I became. And without that experience of wrestling Kevin every afternoon, um, I would not have believed that I could have tried professional wrestling. But uh, yeah, we were both spectacularly average as uh, high school wrestlers. Pretty good for first year wrestlers, but neither one of us was uh, was great by any means. Thank you. What was your I don't pick, man. You're looking at me, you've got to look at him. <laughs> you, hand up. Hey, boss man, give, give me just a second. <laughs> got to work my way around the room. Wait, 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 let, me, let me take a question. Oh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. WCW, man, that, that run, I had a, two different runs, one for six months, another one for three months. It did a lot for me. It was really a wonderful time, you know, put a roof over our heads, the two children. Uh, the only drawback was that I did have the feeling that there was a glass ceiling, you know? And so it was a little frustrating. There was a, what we call a conundrum in that you could not be a top guy unless you were making top guy money, but you couldn't make top guy money unless you were a top guy. And so if you go back and look at that company, I, I think they relied on the same six to eight guys in their main events for years. And uh, so the top guys had deals with, uh, with uh, Turner Broadcasting and everyone else had deals through World Championship Wrestling. And the guys that got in with the big contract with Turner were the guys, you know, I'm not saying they didn't belong there, but they didn't belong there all the time. And there should have been guys, you know, essentially WCW gave away the store with some of the talent that they allowed to leave. So whether it was uh, Steve Austin or uh, Goldust or uh, me, and uh, there were many others, just, uh, I, yeah. But it was, a great, it was a great place to work and I'm really grateful to have had that opportunity. What was your favorite match and why? What was my favorite match and why? It was backlash against Randy Orton because, thank you. I was uh, coming back after four years of not uh, having a single match. I teamed up with The Rock the month before at WrestleMania. It just didn't feel like I took my best swings. So in life, there's nothing wrong with failing as long as you uh, give it your best shot. And I did not feel like I gave it my best shot. 
at WrestleMania 2004. And so I came back a month later and I took my swings. And I'll dare say I connected. Uh, so that was uh, my favorite match because not only it was, I thought, a great match, uh, but one that meant a lot to me on a personal basis. All right, let's do one more question. Where's that? Uh, so my question is, um, you've had a lot of epic moments in your career, one of which was, it's funny to me, you won the WWE Championship when it was, it's noted that you were, it was like pulling teeth to get you signed because Vince was so high on physical appearance back yeah. then. Yeah. But my question is not how did it feel to win the title. How did it feel knowing that WCW trying to reveal it when Tony Schiavone revealed it, it backfired and everyone tuned in to watch you so epically. Can I quote uh, Larry David here? Felt pretty, pretty. <laughs> Can I just tell you a quick story since a lot of you don't seem to get the reference here. I did that in India and uh, I, we were talking about 800 <laughs> elementary school kids and I started doing the Larry David, birthday, birthday, and Kurt Angle whispers to me, no one knows what you're talking about. Birthday, <laughs> birthday, he goes, stop it, you're embarrassing us. Birthday, birthday. <laughs> it did feel good, it felt really good. It hurt when I heard it, you know, the, you know when I was watching their, uh, their tape show. It did hurt, definitely hurt. And so uh, I waited until the ratings told, told their tale. And that's when I called Tony and left a message. And when he got back to me, uh, my wife came over and goes, hey God, Tony Giovanni's on the line. He sounds really sad. So we had a nice talk. And now I believe his memoir or his, his uh, graphic novel is called Butts and Seats. So it was the best thing that could happen to me, for sure, because it uh, overnight it changed the way, not so much the fans thought of me, but it, I felt like it changed the way that people inside the business thought of me. So, yeah. Mick, you're going to, uh, you have a, a, a tour that you're, you go on, and uh, tell us a little bit about that, because this is pretty cool. It's called the Nice Day Tour. Yeah. And you have uh, upcoming dates of Atlanta, December 5th, San Antonio, December 13th, and Houston, December 14th, and there's many more dates Oh, yeah, after we're that. adding a lot of dates. Uh, dates in Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, um, in January, Alabama, and New Orleans in February. I just love it. You know how I was saying there's nothing like getting that response in the ring? Well, I can't do that anymore. So I found, and I think that a lot of wrestlers would tell you, the most difficult challenge they face trying to find something that makes them feel the way they felt like when they were in the ring. And by doing these shows, I mean, it's, it's like being here. When you get a response to something you said, it's very gratifying. And so I love going up there. I, I tell stories. It's like uh, working on a good match. You see what works and uh, what doesn't. You try to make the things that aren't working better. Sometimes you discard something in favor of something new. I'm always trying to give people the best possible experience I can. So you can check out my schedule at realmickfoley.com and I do believe that I will exceed your expectations. So what is the show? I mean, you buy a ticket, what, is it a meet and greet? Well, is there, a there are, uh, just a few years ago, I, you know, I was first time we did uh, meet and greet tickets, which are more expensive. I didn't think anyone would pay the extra money. And luckily I was wrong. Like there were some venues where the VIPs will outsell the general admission 
three to one, and other places where general admission will outsell the, the VIPs, five or six to one. So I, I just, I love going there, and I love working on it, and I do enjoy the, the post-show meet and greets. I've always enjoyed meeting fans. So you either do or you don't. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a learned behavior. I remember when I got to WWE, I won't tell you who, uh, but a very wise veteran said, I was just about to imitate his voice, and I would have given it away. He said, don't be too good at these things, or they'll ask you to do a lot of them. Uh, and WWE asked me to do a lot of them, because I liked them, and I didn't complain, and I was very, I thought, uh, you know, fan-friendly, and I still, uh, I love these things, you know. It's not the place for everyone. If you, if you don't love these conventions, don't do them. But uh, I'll tell you, just give you a story about an A-list actor at a convention, and uh, he obviously didn't look like he was enjoying himself. And my thought was, dude, you're an actor. At least act like you wanna be there. <laughs> like, just at least do all of us that favor by putting out, you know what, I, one of the ironies of wrestling is that if you were to ask people about what we do, they would say in part, oh, they pretend to get hurt when they're not, and I would say, uh, maybe, maybe, but far more often than not, we're pretending not to be hurt when we are, because the people who put their hard-earned money down for a ticket, they are there to uh, escape into the alternate universe that we provide for them, and they don't need to know that you tweaked your knee the other night, or that you dropped an elbow on the concrete and you're walking a little gingerly. So, you do the best you can, and you try to, uh, you know, like I said, exceed expectations. And I, uh, you know, I do try to do that in my shows, and I try to do that when I'm at the table at a convention. This means, are you going to be signing tomorrow from 10 to 3? Yeah, but I'm also going to be signing tonight from 5 to 7. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Okay. That's right. Are you here on Sunday, too? I'm not here on Sunday, uh, but um, I hope uh, a lot of you will take the opportunity. I think it's an opportunity. Come over and say hello. Uh, purchase a little something. Do the three uh, faces of Foley table experience and uh, have a nice day. That's amazing. So tonight, guys, uh, catch Mickey from 5 to 7, tomorrow from 10 to 3. Mick, I love you to pieces. Ah, Thank thanks, Mickey. So I appreciate much. that. I love you too. Oh, I've got, got a question for you. I saw a couple great photos of you and Eddie. Did you guys have a papillon? Yes. Ah, oh, what a beautiful. We've got His two papillons. What's the name? Binky. Binky. What a beautiful. Does anyone know what a papillon is? Yeah. It's got its name because papillon is French for butterfly. They have these big, beautiful ears like butterflies. So we've got two of them. And I saw this photo. First of all, Eddie looked so cool. He's playing pool. He had that. That was our Christmas card. Yeah. Yeah, it was a Christmas card. He had that world class mullet. Yeah. Uh, and I, I some, had a chair that was going to hit Eddie yeah. over with. Yeah, yeah. That was our Christmas card. And I saw the little papillon on there. And I We've got a bond, so. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on, Vicki. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, there you have it. The awesome, talented, legendary professional wrestler, Mr. Mick Foley. Thank you, Mick, for taking time out of your busy schedule at WrestleCade to share your amazing stories and your history uh, with the fans uh, during my show. 
I also want to thank my agent Rick, Whitney, uh, Tracy at WrestleCade, Gary Damron, and Steve New from ASW Wrestling, which they were just amazing to host my show and to be there. And I love these guys. And thank you to all of you who took the time to listen to this uh, episode. I'm so grateful. Please download my podcast, everyone. Like, click, subscribe, comment, spread the word. I love what I do. I love sharing my my experiences and researching people and sharing them with all of you. So please be well, take care, love one another, and I'll see you next week. Excuse me!